Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. I want you to imagine this. We've all got that one friend or acquaintance who tells wild tales. To say they exaggerate is the ultimate understatement. So one night you and this friend find yourselves at the same party or bar or restaurant. And the next morning you wake to read an article in the paper about a brutal murder. And you remember it, it stands out because, well, it was right around the corner from where you were with this friend just the night before. And this isn't a close friend, it's really more of an acquaintance, and and you know them to be just a little unstable. But you're a nice person and they just happen to be in your circle of friends. Now imagine a year passes. Two years pass. And that individual goes to the police to tell them that they're having dreamlike memories of that night and that these dreamlike memories have led them to believe that they and you committed that heinous murder. Can you imagine being accused of the most brutal murder? Accused by a friend who said you were there and in fact, you were the person who ultimately killed the victim. The scenario may actually sound familiar to those of you who followed the wildly popular podcast, Serial. You can still find it on iTunes. In those riveting, cliffhanging episodes, the podcast follows the story of a high school student convicted of murdering his ex-high school girlfriend. He was implicated by an acquaintance, an acquaintance who said the two of them did this together. And many believe to this day that Adnan Syed sits in prison, an innocent man. Statistics show that between 3 to 5% of those sitting in prison today have been wrongly convicted. And there are many experts who believe that number is far higher than what we realize. Ryan Ferguson was 19 years old, happy, outgoing, fun-loving, and a first-year college student when this crazy nightmare became his reality. October 31st, 2001. Ryan Ferguson was a 17-year-old junior in high school. It was Halloween. Kids were partying, dressed up in costumes. Ryan was hanging out with a casual acquaintance, Chuck Erickson. That same night, a murder occurred. A 48-year-old sports editor was brutally murdered in the parking lot of the Columbia Daily Tribune. The murder mystery dominated news coverage for weeks to come. Nearly two years later, that casual acquaintance, Chuck Erickson, started telling people that he was having dreamlike memories of that murder and that in some way he must have been involved. Eventually, he went to the police. Police brought Erickson in for questioning. Here's Ryan Ferguson's father describing that first encounter with the police. Uh, As soon as Chuck was being questioned, he immediately implicated Ryan as the person he was with that night. So the police uh, uh, called the Kansas City Police and had Ryan arrested. He was going to college. He was arrested by a uh, a felony SWAT team consisting of uh, uh, city police, uh, deputy sheriffs, and FBI agents. It was a pretty lethal group. Ryan recalled going in for questioning and thinking to himself how absurd this was. Hour after hour of interrogation, Ryan maintained his innocence. His story never changed. In fact, when detectives suggested that they might have his fingerprints at the scene, a technique often used to elicit crime scene confessions, Ryan replied, Great! 
take my fingerprints so I can be free and go home to study for my exams. I didn't do this. I wasn't even there. The case went to trial. On the night of the murder, Chuck Erickson admits that he was high on cocaine, Adderall, and alcohol, and that the following day he had no memory of Halloween night. Yet it was his testimony that was accepted in exchange for a plea deal for the conviction of Ryan Ferguson. Though no hair, blood, or fingerprint samples could be collected at the crime scene, which were consistent with Ferguson, or Erickson for that matter, without any traces of the victim's blood found anywhere related to Ryan Ferguson or Chuck Erickson on the night of the murder, based solely on the plea deal testimony offered by high school acquaintance Chuck Erickson. The jury find that defendant Ryan William Ferguson guilty of murder in the second degree. 19-year-old Ryan Ferguson was convicted of second-degree murder and robbery and sent away to live the next 40 years in prison. But Ryan never lost hope, and neither did his friends or family, who fought tirelessly to prove his innocence and have his conviction overturned. And eventually that high school acquaintance came forward and told authorities he had lied. Things happened much differently than I had previously stated. I regret now that I put an innocent man through that. He didn't deserve it. In 2012, Ryan was granted a new trial. Chuck Erickson took the stand and admitted under oath that he had lied. I've lied. I've lied to everybody. And then the janitor, the only other witness to implicate Ryan, took the stand. A convicted sex offender, he admitted that he too had lied under oath. Jerry Trump explained that he had been pressured by authorities to implicate two young men he was shown in a photograph by police detectives. In this audio clip, you can hear Trump asking for Ryan's forgiveness. I'd like to have forgiveness from Ryan. With zero physical evidence and the recanted testimony of the only two witnesses, the judge upheld the conviction, and Ryan remained in prison. He kept his hope, his spirit, and his body strong by turning to fitness and developing a fitness regimen that allowed him to cope both mentally and physically with his reality. And finally, in 2013, a Missouri appeals court overturned the conviction. The court explained that the conviction was overturned due to the following, quote, newly discovered evidence that clearly and convincingly establishes that he is actually innocent. After spending 10 years in prison for a crime he never committed, Ryan Ferguson was a free man. Today, I've invited Ryan to be my guest. I want to know, what does it take to have that kind of hope? How do you get through something like that? You may never go to prison. All of us have had moments, moments of despair, moments when it feels like there's no end in sight, whether it's being held captive by our own thoughts, a loveless marriage, depression, anxiety, or circumstances that sometimes feel hopeless. Ryan credits his survival to his optimism, his attitude, using education to make himself stronger, faster, and smarter in spite of his circumstances. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce to you the author of Stronger, Faster, Smarter, Ryan Ferguson. Ryan, did you ever happen to listen to the podcast, the serial podcasts? Oh, absolutely. Okay, what are your thoughts on that? I actually wrote an article about it. Um, okay, awesome. Yeah. 
So okay, well I, then I'm going to leave people hanging. Is that article on your website? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not even going to ask you any further. I'm going to go to your website and I'm going to read. I'm going to read your thoughts. So there's the cliffhanger for fans of cereal. Go to RyanFergusonFitness.com to read Ryan's very personal perspective on the on the Adnan Syed case. But now back to your story, Ryan. If I can, can I take you, can we start all the way back in those early days when you were first incarcerated? Did you feel like I'm going to be here for a long time? Or were you thinking, this is a crazy nightmare. There's no way I'm going to be here for long. Um, initially, you know, I mean, I kind of let ignorance be my guide because I really thought, I believed in our legal system. I thought they're going to look at the evidence. They're going to try to do what's right. And, uh, and they're going to open these doors any minute now when they, when they, you know, test the DNA, when they do whatever they have to do, they start investigating this case, they're going to open the doors and let me go. So I literally sat there with my bag packed, ready to go every day. And those doors just never opened. Like for and how long? Like literally were you weeks, months? Months. I mean, I remember spring break. I remember sitting there and, you know, thinking about my friends and they're all going out to the Lake of the Ozarks and, I'm thinking, all right, they're gonna come. They're gonna come let me out. You know, I shouldn't be here. And uh, you know, there's there's evidence that's coming in that's proving my innocence. And uh, and that's two weeks into it. And then I remember instances six months into it, and uh, it's the same situation, the same feeling. It just, um, you know, if I didn't think it was gonna happen, I would have gone crazy. But that really? hope, yeah, it was. Uh, looking back at it, it's almost like ignorance truly was bliss. Is it ignorance or is it optimism? I think it's both. Um, the sad thing is it is ignorance because our legal system doesn't operate the way that we believe it does. Mm. And yeah, and a lot of people, you know, my family didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, people who are in the legal system and dealing with it at the same time, whether they're guilty or innocent, they don't know that. It's just, uh, it's one of those stories where if it, if you haven't experienced it firsthand, uh, you'll never know exactly how it functions. And that's really scary. So at what point did you realize or did somebody say to you, okay, Ryan, this is your reality. Did you ever feel like, did you have that moment when you realized, okay, I'm, it's been years now. I'm not going home. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I came to different realities. Uh, I had to tell myself that this is my reality multiple times. And I know after a few weeks there, I was like, all right, the reality is that, you know, we're going to have to get all the evidence to, before I go to trial to prove my innocence to get out of here. So I might be here for a couple more months. And then once I uh, ended up being convicted and going to prison, I was like, wow, I mean, the reality is that each appeal is going to take a year. So, I mean, they would deny one appeal and I would, I would have to tell myself a new reality, like the next year and a half of my life. It's gone. There's no way I can I can have my freedom. So if I'm 25, like you know, until I'm 27, I'm not going to be free, basically. And what did that? It's, what went through your head? Like, what did that feel like? It's it's such a lonely feeling. Um, even even with your family there, and and I had the most amazing family, the most support a person could have. I had 48 hours and Dateline out there who were actually putting the facts out to the public so the, the public could see the reality that I was innocent. And even then, it was just like I was completely alone. Um, you know, I had hope, but it was, it was pretty hopeless, if that makes any sense. Can it was, you it was, tell me, well, what was your personality like? Bef how would you describe yourself before 
this happened? Um, I was very outgoing. I mean, I, I was, uh, I just loved to meet people and get out. I was always, I mean, I was always kind of, I wasn't like type A, just really loud and obnoxious, but I was always out in front. Like, people knew I was there. I was, I was meeting people, having fun. And, uh, you know, I just enjoyed every day. I enjoyed a lot. Were you ever, um, did you ever struggle with being sad or, um, did you ever have down days or would you describe yourself as generally an optimistic, happy person before this happened? I was definitely an optimistic, uh, happy person. I, I had never experienced, and I think that's what made prison even more difficult is that before going to prison, I had such a good life. I had, you know, an amazing upbringing. Uh, my childhood couldn't have been better. I never experienced any type of pain or difficulty really. And I, and I had never experienced depression, which, uh, you know, prison, prison can do that to you <laughs> no matter how strong you are. So well, thank you for admitting that and sharing that. Cause you know, I mean, to think of someone in the situation and to envision them being optimistic and holding out hope and, and trying to be a happy person throughout it is it's difficult to wrap your head around. So to, to share honestly that depression was something that you suffered from. Do you remember actually thinking to yourself, okay, I'm depressed and I'm not familiar with this feeling? I do. I do. I remember, I remember just having to face it head on and know like waking up in the days and not wanting to do anything, not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to eat, not wanting to, to even go outside. And, and I cherished going outside because they didn't let me go outside for a whole year. Um, so it's, you know, I just, I realized that I can't live my life like this. And I, you know, if I do, I will never prove my innocence. They will have won mm. and, you know, justice will not be served. Wow. So it, it took a while, you know, I mean, it, it, and that's the thing I think with, with people who, who are dealing with these things, they think it's going to have to change immediately. And it doesn't, you know, you just start doing something different every day, something mm -hmm. new, start challenging yourself, start mm picking yourself up every day. So, you know, I would, I would get up and I would just go outside and walk. I wouldn't necessarily exercise or do anything, but I would make myself go out there, you know. Why did they so not I, allow you to go outside the first year? Um, that's a great question. I love it because um, the reality is that, and also this is a reality that I didn't understand, nobody did at the time, that the county jail where you're innocent until proven guilty is actually far worse than prison. So... In prison, I why could go is that? I like you, that. That's not what I think the perception is. So explain to us why. Why is county jail worse than prison? Right. Um, and no, that's not the perception. So the thing is, and then just the fundamentals, I guess, is uh, in prison you can basically go outside every day. Um, you have to go outside to walk to the chow hall to get food, to get recreation. If you have visits, if you have people who want to come see you, you can you can hug them. They can come once a week, twice a week, maybe. Um, you can talk to them for four hours, you get better food, you get to buy things, uh, more phone time. So that's prison. In the county jail, you would have one visit for 45 minutes every week behind glass on a phone. You can't buy any extra food. You're basically starving. The lights are always on. Uh, you, you never go outside essentially. For my first year, I literally stepped foot outside two times. Oh my gosh. Two times in a whole entire year. That's got to be and so bad for your health. It is. I still have skin damage from it. Um, you know, and then what it does to you mentally, I, I mean, I'm glad I can't see those scars, but uh, I'm working on them every day. Are you? The reality, I am, you know, and I... Have you done therapy? 
I haven't. I'm hoping uh, in the future to be able to um, take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's difficult getting to that point, um, but I know I need it, yeah. and, uh, and I will certainly be going to it. Uh, you know, I think I think that uh, it's it's a big part of life is, is like just growing and accepting the realities that we've had. And uh, and if, if I need to go to therapy, I need to go to therapy, and that's that's fine because um, we all deal with different things. And I think uh, we should take advantage of every opportunity we can to help ourselves. Well, only super cool, smart people go to therapy, so I think you should go. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ryan, so you're, you get to this point where you are depressed. You don't want to get out of bed. Your reality has set in. This, you know, cut you open. Normally you're an optimistic, happy, outgoing person and you probably don't even feel like you're the same individual. Where do you find inspiration to say, okay, I've got to pull myself out of this state of mind and make some changes? What was the inspiration? I, that's a great question. I'm just, I'm not sure, you know, it was just, I believed in myself and I believed that I was better than what had happened to me. You know, mm. I, I was choosing to be. Ooh, that was, hang on, I got to write that down. I <laughs> was better than what happened to me. Oh, tweet that, lifers. I, in fact, I want you to say this. I am better than what happened to me. I am better than what happened to I me. Absolutely. Y'all are, right? And yeah. that's, that's the story of life. Dang. And so you're you're thinking that and, you know, you've got this supportive family around you, but the reality set in. And can I ask, I mean, you go into prison young. You you don't have a criminal background. You don't know how to manipulate the system. You don't know how to survive, I would assume, around these dudes. What was that like? That was an experience, uh, to say the least. Yeah. Um, there was a big learning curve there, a uh, big learning curve. And, you know, I ran into a lot of, a lot of uh, roadblocks. There's, there's no doubt about it. What was the one, when I ask you about the first time you realized, like, holy cow, I am not in Kansas anymore. What was that moment? Describe it for us. Um, it was an instance where basically a guy wanted to be very disrespectful um, to everyone, wouldn't let people sleep. And I kind of stood up to that. And mm. uh, and I was put in my place by multiple people. Um, well, wait a second. You got to give me more detail. So wh- uh, what does this mean? Is he like clanking? Like, is he taking a can and going up and like, what does that mean? He's not, he's being just disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it actually happened to be with a TV, uh, okay. which caused the majority of problems in the county jail because you're locked in this cage. It's just this cage, essentially, center block box with, you know, um, one to seven other people. And you have to respect each other's boundaries, you know. And this guy would wake up at six o'clock in the morning and he'd turn on the TV. And most people who did that would go and sit close to the TV and turn it down so other people could sleep. This guy would turn it on, turn it all the way up, walk back into his cell, which is in essentially another room. And try to watch it from there, and uh, you know. So, and and being in the world that I'm from, you know, it's like, hey man, can you please, you know, like not do that, turn it down a little bit, sit up close to the TV like everyone else. He's like, no. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to be disrespected like that because that makes me look bad in prison, and I can't sleep. So there's multiple reasons here, and mm, okay. uh, and so you know, um, I chose not to accept that, and I went and turned on the TV multiple times, and. <laughs> the reality that came my way shortly thereafter uh, was not a nice one. Really? So, 
Yeah, no, and it was, uh, you know, because they have their, their buddies, they have their groups, and, um, I mean, they feel empowered. I don't like groups. Groups of people generally feel empowered to do things that are inappropriate. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's So, what was the message you took away from that, from that experience? You formed a message in your head that said what? It said in, in prison specifically, um, unfortunately, that there are realities that you're not going to be able to control. Wow right, wrong, or indifferent. And you need to learn to accept certain things. Wow. So it's kind of like that whole saying, you know, learn to accept what you cannot change, change what you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You know, I didn't know that saying, but I had learned it very quickly. <laughs> wow. That is and a so lot crazy. of people don't. That's the scary thing is a lot of people go into these situations. It might be in prison. It might be at work. It might be wherever. And they don't learn these things. And that's why they're finding a lot of complications and problems in life. So. Yeah. So you said you weren't working out and the food was terrible. So what did your physical condition start to become? Um, I, was, I was very small for prison. I started to, I mean, I was about 160 at that point. I just didn't how care tall, about How tall are you? 5'8", five, 5'9". And Somewhere you, you, in there. Get down, you get to 160. And before you went in, were you physically active? Were you fit? Was health part of your daily regimen? I actually just started working out with weights. Mm -hmm. um, I was 19. I was in college. So it was uh, something that I was interested in. I started, I have one of those fortunate bodies that, you know, I'm a mesomorph. I see results relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. So um, that was good. I didn't, I didn't ever get to put on size. I worked there for a month. And, but before that, I always played sports. I played tennis in high school. I played uh, basketball and soccer all my whole life. So mm -hmm. I was always very physically active. And then to be put in this cage um, and not be able to do anything was, uh, it was very difficult. Yeah. And that's, that's where, you know, the, the title of my book came up, uh, Stronger, Faster, Stronger, because my father told me in the first week there, and, um, and I actually started it soon thereafter was, son, I can't do anything for you while you're in there in, in the context that of me being there to help you. I can mm -hmm. help you out here. Mm -hmm. So he said, you got to do everything you can to make yourself stronger, faster, and smarter. And so that's, that's exactly what I did. So I, I started developing my own workout routine because I was young and I was skinny and uh, I had to get bigger if I wanted to survive. So tell me what that meant. Did you have time you could go to the gym? Do you, are you talking about working out in your cell block? Do you have a cellmate? Describe that. Uh, and tell, actually, take me all the way back to like the first day. You said at first you just started walking. When did it become a physical pursuit? So this was, um, if the physical pursuit actually started immediately. Once my father told me that in the first week, I started doing Now, when you say that, I'm sorry, just to have clarification. Yeah. So you spend a year in county jail. I and, spent, yes. Okay. And then when you say um, you immediately, you're saying immediately after you were in prison, that's when you took on this mentality where your dad said, listen, you've got to do this. I can't help you. You've got to, you've got to make yourself smarter and stronger and You've got you've got to do this. So you're talking about when you're now you're in prison. No, I guess that is kind of confusing. There's a lot of time there, and <laughs> so it. Um, I started. Uh, my father told me this. And I started working out literally a week after I got arrested in the county jail. Okay. And then the the harder times. So I mean, it was very difficult in the county jail. I had some some serious breakdowns. I don't think I understood um, my own feelings at that time. Mm, sure. I mean, so, you're like 19. Yeah, and so when when we talk about the depression and me not working out and just kind of not being able to function in life. That was actually 
after my first year in prison. Mm. And so then I had to basically start anew. Okay. So there I got are two it. different phases. Yeah. And I could, you know, at that point, I, I was able to accept my own feelings. And mm. I think in the kind of jail, I was just, I was oblivious to, you know, I was a kid and I was oblivious to what was actually happening to me. And I was just trying to survive. Once you're in touch with your feelings and you're realizing now that you've got to do something, then your exercise, I assume, becomes part of your your therapy, part of your healing, not just not just a practical way to survive, but it's is it more than that? It is it's it is it's everything. It it becomes essentially my existence at that point because um you know when you when you're going to the gym, obviously um it has psychological benefits. It's making you feel better about yourself. You're looking better. And then the people around you, um, they see what you're doing and they see that you're getting stronger than they are, faster than they are, you're getting bigger than they are. And people respect you for that. So in prison, it became one of basically one of my main identities. I, I tutored people as well. So I was known uh-huh. as, yeah, but it was, I was this kid who, I mean, I was young and I was bigger and stronger than most guys in there. And they How just did you do that? Out. Tell us, tell us about your regimen. Um, well, I did it, number one, uh, through education because I realized early on that um, doing just bench press and going into the gym and acting like I knew what I was doing without reading anything, I wasn't seeing the results I wanted. Oh, so, uh, big round of applause for that because I'm such a fan of starting with education, like whether it's your nutrition or your personal development or your business development, improving your relationships, like start with education because it's such a confidence builder and like once you know like education tells you why to do something as opposed to saying here are the rules i must follow and if you're if you're a curious person they don't feel like rules then you're like oh well i'm a logical person so logically because of what i've just learned this is what i'm going to do so you start with education and how do you do that in this environment are you able to go to the library can you go online I cannot go online. Um, you know, at this point, I had never, I mean, it's 2004, like 2006, maybe 2007. I had never even seen an iPod. I don't even, and, uh, wow. you know, I hadn't been online in years. So I, I just really, I read every book I could get my hand on. Some people had hand-me-downs. Some had, the library had a few things. I would get uh, Muscle and Fitness Magazine, uh, Men's Health Magazine. So I literally read, I mean, even Time Magazine had good articles. So wow. I read everything I could possibly get my hands on. Mm. And yep. I always tell people, you know, I'm lazy. And that's the reality of it. I'm a lazy person. But they're like, well, how do you get in shape if you're lazy? I'm like, because I understand what I'm doing. Mm. And because I've educated myself and I understand what I'm doing, I can go to the gym and get more done in less time than most people and, uh, and then get results. And, and it's because... I was lazy enough to educate myself, if that makes any sense. Well, I first think that we, you know, I think I would have to challenge the term lazy, uh, <laughs> yeah. but for you anyways, but um, so, so are you, do they have a gym there? Like, can you go to a gym or are you working out in your cell? Uh, so in prison, you have a gym in the county jail. No. So um, in the beginning in the county jail, uh, I did push-ups, pull-ups, and that's where my no excuses attitude comes from. I had access to nothing that would help you get in shape. I was doing curls with a coffee jug wow. and a bag wrapped around it to, to hold it. And, uh, and I was doing pull-ups on graded stairs. So I had to use toilet paper, wrap it up so I could actually hold on to it. Otherwise, 
the grating and it would hurt my hands. And, you know, I did, I did push-ups and I did uh, dips off of a wall um, that was like a half wall. You know, you just, you got to get creative. And the reality is that you, know, you don't have to have the things you think you need. You just put in the work with what you have and the time that you have and you're going to see results. That's so true. And I'm glad you said that because so many people will say, oh, I can't afford to join the gym or I would love to work out, but I I can't afford your DVDs. And here you are. I mean, to be that resourceful is is really pretty phenomenal. Did you start to see changes in your body then? I did. I did. I started putting on lean muscle mass. Um, and I say lean because there's no way I could have gotten any bigger with the food that they gave us and the, the nutrient deficiency and the calorie deficiency. How did you so, cope with uh, that? It was difficult. Uh I mean, I literally, I mean, I'd be trading people nutty bars because you could buy nutty bars uh, or honey buns, which, you know, they're not healthy and you can't get that many of them anyways. So I would trade people those things for milk or for apples or for anything that had any type of nutritional content to it. So, uh, how are you, you know, getting, was, how are you getting healthy lean protein? I wasn't. Wow. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> that's really interesting. So you're not drinking protein shakes. You're not taking supplements. You're not eating paleo. You're just making the most of your situation. Absolutely. And what what did your body, were you able to start to transform your body even with that limited nutritional resource? I was. And that's, that's the thing is, you know, it'll take you so far. It's a good start. And I think for a lot of people who, especially people who are not currently active, it'll take them very far. Um, obviously, if they have access to better resources, use them by all means. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you don't have to have them, especially starting. And what's really funny is uh, I was actually in a hotel about a month ago and I walk into the gym and there's an elliptical machine and like two dumbbells. I'm thinking, what the heck is this? Like, I can't work out. Like, I'm just not going to do anything today. You you thought that? I thought that, <laughs> I caught myself and I'm like, wait a minute, what the heck am I thinking here? So I just, I took myself outside and it was a little chilly. Um, I was up north, but I took myself outside and I started doing push-ups. I started doing sprints. I started making up my own routine and, mm -hmm. uh, and I got a really good workout. I mean, I was, I hit it for about 40 minutes and I got, I got a better workout than I might've gotten in, in the regular gym. So at the peak of your, um, performance, while you're in prison, can you describe for us your routine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was built around the six moves and the six moves that I put in my book. Uh, they're compound moves: uh, squats and deadlifts, bench press and shoulder press. Hang on, we're gonna go slow. We're taking notes, so okay, so. squats. <laughs> what was it? Squats and deadlifts. Okay. Bent over rows and pull ups. Okay. Uh, shoulder press and bench press. So I believe in multi-joint moves. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there would be better ones. I didn't have free weights. I had Smith machines, so I had mm -hmm. I was somewhat limited. Sure. Um, but as you know, and I'm sure a lot of our uh, your listeners know, that if you're doing compound moves, you're gonna you're gonna work more muscles in a shorter period of time. You're gonna boost your metabolism afterwards. So for the most of us, I think if we stick to those six moves, do a little bit of cardio. And we're not wasting our time with smaller moves in the gym, you know, mm. um, like curls and things of this nature, crunches. Then we're actually going to see results a lot quicker and we're going to be happier with our success, which is going to make us want to do more. And it's going to, you know, it's going to bring reward. So 
that's why I stuck to those and I kept seeing gains. And uh, What about for I, cardio? Now, were you doing cardio? Were you doing um, sprints? What were you doing for your cardiovascular conditioning? For cardiovascularly, I wasn't doing much. <laughs> really? I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I've never been much of a cardiovascular um, type of person. So, I mean, I played basketball. I played some uh, ultimate frisbee later on, which actually was really helpful. But at the time, it was um, it was just about getting big because mm. I was a little guy in prison, and cardio actually would detract from what my goals were. Ah, I see. And how much time did they give you each day to exercise? Um, so a lot of times you'll actually end up missing exercise periods because they'll shut the yard down because there was a fight or somebody got stabbed or who knows what happened. Um, you never know. So wow. barring that, you would technically get um, three to four days in the gym for about an hour every week. So, um, yeah, I get four workout sessions in, maybe three depending on the week. Um, you know, and, and it, it, it also was split with, um, do you want to get your shower? Cause if you didn't shower at that particular time, then you would have to wait four hours completely soaked in sweat in your room. So, you know, for me, it was, I had to work out. Uh, it felt good. It helped me move forward. It protected me. So I would I would use the whole hour, hour and a half, um, if we got that much. And mm -hmm. I would come back in, skip the shower until, you know, four hours later. And I'd sit there completely soaked, um, stinky. And I wouldn't even sit down on my bed or anything. I'd sit on the floor. And Dude, I'd get, like, I do that every day. Like I'm sw yeah. sitting here, right? You saw me just before we started recording. I, I'm sitting here. I skipped my shower today too. I'm with you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess uh, it's good to have that choice, right? Right. I, okay, fine. You're right. No, no, you're, but, uh, but let me ask you a question. On the days that you weren't, you didn't have access to the gym, were you working out in your cell? I, I did. Yeah, uh -huh. I would. I would do push-ups, squats. I I did a lot of stretching. I didn't know about um, self-myophysical release. I couldn't have done it anyways. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I just you know I did basically everything I could to develop a healthy body all around. And what percentage of that was for your mental well-being? Um, knowingly or unknowingly? <laughs> um, tell now in retrospect. In retrospect, I'd say at least seventy percent of yeah, it. Yeah. Right. And I think even now, even now, it's when I got out, um, you know, I was having a lot of difficulties trying to figure out what to do, where my passion was, a lot of people telling me different things I should do with my life. And then, um, and then the book got um, picked up and, and they were going to publish it. I'm like, well, I got to be in shape to publish a book about health and fitness, so I can't, you know. And um, I got back in the gym and I realized like, this is where, this is where I belong. Like part of my life belongs in the gym. Although I have other passions, helping, uh, wrongfully convicted people, hoping to change laws. I have to be in the gym. That's a huge part of my life. That's what keeps me happy. So I'd say that's, I mean, that's probably 60% of my life right now, my own mental well-being. So did you go through a period of time kind of after the honeymoon, like after you get out of prison where you felt sad or um, like, it, like it was just a difficult adjustment. I'm still there. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's honest. Not, yeah. It's, What's the hardest part about it? Being out like, you know, and I think probably everyone thinks that you should just be happy and grateful every day. But I assume there's a part of you that just still says, why me? You know, I, 
and so there's two parts to that, and and I the the hardest part is just not knowing why I I feel this way, because mm-hmm. um, I worked really hard in prison to. I mean, I educated myself. I stayed uh, healthy. I, I, you know, I wanted to have a better quality of life for a very sustained period of time. So I did everything I could so that the day I got out, I would be out, happy, successful, move forward. And even with all of that and all the the help I had and the help, I, you know, what I did for myself, I still can't find the answers that I'm needing and looking for. Which What's is the biggest question you have? It's just, uh, it's just why, why am I not finding the level of um, peace? I guess that uh, that I thought would have come by now, and you know it's been a year and a half. So I'm not, I'm not. Uh, it's it's baffling to me. I don't like being baffled. Yeah. <laughs> so I, How much? Um, when you say that that level of peace, do you feel like there are incidents that leave you restless when you think back on them, or do you mean the experience as a whole? Like, why did this happen? Or do you mean, like, just the things that you saw, the things that you had to get through? I think the things that I, that I experienced, the way that I, that I view uh, humanity and just knowing that, like, these people did this to me, they know I'm innocent, um, they still, even with the evidence and everybody in the nation being able to see that I was wrongfully convicted, um, still trying to fight against my freedom, and knowing that they're doing that to so many other people right now and that that's mm-hmm. considered to be okay, I think that's what's really holding me, me down is the fact that, you know, conservative estimates say that 3 to 5% of people in American prisons are wrongfully convicted. And What was that, that statistic? I have to write that down. 3 to 5% of people in American prisons okay. are wrongfully convicted right now. And that's a very conservative estimate. Sure. Which places us at a minimum of 40,000 people who are in the same situation I was, incarcerated for something they had nothing to do with. And I can't get over that. And I can't mm. get over the fact that nothing's happening to the people who are putting them there. Because that's you. It, it is, you know. And, uh, and, and the scary thing is that it could be you or your oh, friends God, or yeah. children. My, son, that- my son's 18, so when I read your story, I'm like, I just, I can't imagine what he would feel i can't imagine what i would feel like that it was it's a very moving story yeah and then i think i think the most moving stories are the ones that touch us in a way that you know we realize that this could easily be our reality yeah and yeah. that's what that's what's scary but the reality too on top of that is that we we can see these injustices we can see what's happening and we can make a change. Well, you said you said the reason why I feel like this is you said quote I wrote it down holding me down is because and then you cited that statistic. But isn't isn't a better way to state that that this is the thing that's pushing you forward? It's both. It's both. And okay. I think I think uh, I think it's just, you know it can be applied to fitness as well as a lot of people they want they want those instant results. Mm-hmm. Um, they you know I want to see everybody go home. <laughs> I want to see people held accountable for their actions, Um, both the people who commit crimes and the people who commit other crimes to put wrongfully convicted people in prison. Um, Just like people want to see, they want to go to the gym, do a bench press and have a beautiful chest. Um, It's not, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And so I'm, I'm working with that reality and I don't know why it's just, I'm not good with that. So I'm going to keep doing everything I can to uh, change things 
But I've, I've got to accept the fact that it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of uh, awareness, a lot of people, a lot of legislation. So, you know, it's, it's, it's what we tell ourselves, right? Right. Um, and my perspective is just off. I have to be more patient, which is patience is one of my best things in life. Yes, and right it now, is. Patient. <laughs> well, and, and how long have you been free? I've been free for about a year and a half. And what was the, um, what's been the toughest time for you? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. Uh, it, it comes and goes really. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that has like specific moments. Mm -hmm. It's just, um, walls. And, and for me, it's, you know, I have a no excuses attitude towards life. And if I feel that way, um, it's about analyzing myself and, and trying to figure out why it is that I feel that way. And, and I think, it's any time that I'm kind of um, relaxing too much and not moving forward, not trying to help other people, not trying to um, expose this injustice, that's when I start to feel really down. Hey, that's a great point. I think for everyone, and I did a podcast recently about how to how to be instantly happy, and you just can't be down when you're helping someone. It's, a, it's almost impossible, unless you're helping them move, because that sucks. But if you're, <laughs> other than that, when you're helping people, it just, it feels so good, you know? And that's, that's a great tip, I think, for everyone, which it's interesting, because can you do that in prison? Or were you just, I guess you were, you were helping other people find fitness as their therapy, am I right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I tutored. I uh, I volunteered to tutor people uh, to get their GED. Um, I helped with math specifically, so that that meant a lot to me. It helped educate myself. It wasn't purely altruistic, you know. I got something out of it, but um, I was able to help these guys get their education and see their happiness. And then at the same time, I helped a lot of people in the gym, which felt really good as well. And so. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how um, I came to be known in prison was this guy who obviously took care of himself and would help you out and whatever your your goals were. So that uh, it's a big part of life. And if you're taking care of yourself and you're you're helping other people to whatever capacity you can, um, I think you'll find happiness. And every time I move away from one or either of those, I realize that I'm I'm just not in balance. Gosh, it's just so simple, and that's why I think your book is so important. I hope that. I hope that my lifers will hear how important this is for you. This is your purpose. This is your mission. And your book, Stronger, Faster, Smarter, encompasses all of these messages. But I just want people to know that it's so much more than fitness. There's so much good to be done with your life, Ryan. And I want to, I want to be there for you. I, before we started the call, I said I have some ideas for you, but I really do. I think sometimes it's difficult to understand why things happen, but I, in our struggles in getting through things, we often find our life's our life's purpose. And I think you have. I hope that people will support you by going to your website, uh, Ryan Ferguson Fitness. We'll link to it in my show notes as well as um, on the website. And and then can they buy the book from your website, or do they need to go to Amazon? Uh, it'll link you to Amazon, so you can go to the website. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes and Noble. Uh, should it should be. Wherever you look. <laughs> so stronger, faster, smarter. And if we were wanting, if we felt compelled to help an organization that can actually bring funding and awareness to those families who are fighting to get their, their own loved ones out of prison being wrongly accused, um, what organization are you most supportive of? The Innocence Project, um, for sure. There's a lot of local Innocence Projects. 
so you can you can support your local uh, one statewide if you want. Ryan, you are you're awesome. I I just want to celebrate you for for just being so honest with us today and sharing your message and for finding your purpose and helping other families, other victims, other people find justice in a system that isn't always doesn't always operate as we wish it would. Thank you so much. I mean, it, it was just it's an honor to be here and speaking with you and uh, and then being able to help other people spreading awareness. Um, Thank you, Ryan. That. Take care. This episode has been sponsored by CourageousConfidenceClub.com. It's a club that I've created specifically to help people who struggle with confidence and insecurities and social settings and, and just standing up for themselves, being yourself and feeling good about it. All of us could benefit from having more confidence. I'd love for you to just experience a taste of it. So please be my guest by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips. Now, if you don't feel like writing that web address down or remembering to go there later, all you have to do is, while you're listening from your phone, send me a text message. The number is 949-565-4337. And that is for U.S. residents. Then just send me the word confidence and I will send you access to this video. This video will help you to eliminate self-doubt and just feel more confident in any situation, whether it's work or personal or just your social interactions. Every one of us can benefit from having more confidence. There you'll submit your email address and I will immediately send to your inbox my latest training video where I teach you step-by-step how to feel more confident in just about any social setting. I think you'll find this incredibly useful, whether it's business or personal or just in your everyday interactions. Confidence is something that makes life easier. It helps you to raise more confident, self-efficient children. It allows us to speak our mind, to stand up for ourselves, to do the things that otherwise we are paralyzed by fear. And we just allow our own thoughts to stop us. By learning how to overcome self-doubt and fear of success, you can become that confident person that others are attracted to. The person you want to be, the person you deserve to be, the person you know is inside of you. So thank you for checking out my free tools by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips.